Hello and welcome to the Stray Injet Podcast. I'm Matt Stradley, ESPN Plus play-by-play announcer. And former when I'm working with former NCAA standout Harlem Globetrotter, that's John the Jet Williams. We're going to discuss the inner workings of college basketball across the Southeast. And we're going to offer deep insight into the basketball player's mind and the stories behind the scores in mid-major basketball. Hey, thanks for choosing Stray in the Jet podcast, episode three. I'm Matt Stradley here with the Jet, John Williams. Another great week of Big South Southern Conference, really just the Southeast showing out a little bit. Uh, We'll take you all over the place. Uh, Let's start with the Big South, John. Let's start with the women's side. We started with the men's side last week. I like to to flip it up and keep it fresh. Uh, A couple of scores from Saturday, the 22nd of January, A&T over Winthrop, 87-64. High point, continuing that good run there on 71-45 over Hampton. Campbell, 58 over Radford. 41. The big one in my eyes, John, CSU, Charleston Southern taking out USC Upstate 55-53. Presbyterian over Asheville 69-51 and Longwood beating Gardner-Webb. That was a, an interesting matchup. 86-75. Let's speed back around to Charleston Southern beating USC Upstate. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Charleston Southern has been, you know, at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the Big South play. And uh, but we talk about it all the time when it comes to parity, when it comes to protecting home court advantage. Uh, Charleston Southern did a really good job of, you know, keeping the game into a half court set, making it difficult for upstate to get out in the open floor, which is something that they're very good at. Um, But also just playing disciplined basketball. And that's that's how you beat an upstate team. Um, because that USC Upstate uh, program, they do a really good job, especially on the defensive end and making it difficult for you to run your offensive sets by keeping it on one side of the floor. They call it a no middle defense where, you know, most offenses are based off of continuity. And if you don't have hiccups, if you don't have uh, contingencies in that offense, it's going to be really difficult for you to get anything going regarding fluidity. And so, uh, Charleston Southern just did a really good job of sticking to the game plan and getting themselves a a really needed home win. Compton scoring 23 against UNC Asheville and Presbyterians win Presbyterian moving into that upper half, the the part of the pack that's starting to separate themselves from the other half. And Presbyterians making that leap like you predicted two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, Presbyterians definitely got a a ton of uh, weapons on that team that can make it really difficult for you to lock in on just one person. And, you know, we called that game about, you know, with them playing against UNC Asheville yesterday. And, you know, the person to watch was Compton, right? But Compton is very complimentary of the rest of that team. Uh, Bracone was also a player that got busy, and a lot of that was because of the attention that Compton was creating. Uh, Carter was also a player that was impactful in the post that – took a lot of attention off of Compton. And so it didn't matter. Like it, it it's, they've got that next man up mentality uh, that we talk about all the time that uh, teams have to have so that you can't just lock in on uh, one particular player because it makes it easy to scheme against that player. And that's what you're seeing UNC Asheville start to run into now is uh, they, most teams that scout and are preparing for UNCA, they are preparing for, Nadiri Evans, right? She's that guy or that gal that can make it make a bucket happen 
in tough situations. But if you lock in and hone in your defenses to try to stop her and say, I dare for the rest of the team to try to beat me, um, the rest of the team has to try to beat them. And so there has to be more balance on UNC Asheville's offensive front um, and making sure that they are, you know, taking a little bit of that pressure off of Nadiria and putting it on, you know, some of those other supporting players that are going to have to step up in the next year anyway. High points starting to figure it out. They they lost their best player in the first game of the season. Um, and so high points really starting to figure it out. Never, never trailed. The only time the score was tied was at 0 0 uh, when High Point beat Hampton. Uh, shot over 40% from the floor. Is this a, a, a high point team that, that is going to be a concern in the tournament time? Absolutely. And, and and that's because of their style of play. Like they they've got a ton of players that can shoot the ball at a, at a very high clip. They run the floor well. Um, they're great on the break. Uh, they play serviceable defense where they understand themselves and play within their system. Uh, and the reason. Reason why they um, to somebody as impactful as Skylar talent and the type of players that they recruit, everybody can shoot. So it spreads out most defenses, and so they're going to be a team to beat because a lot of defenses. Usually, they can catch fire. Yeah, men's side beating Radford 78-74. It's 41 from Pember. Yeah, I mean, I I was watching that um the score while the women's game was going on. And I just remember seeing like the score was like eleven to two or something like that. And Pember had all eleven of the points. And I was thinking to myself, uh, that might be the story of the game, which is just Pember being able to put together um a game that where, you know, and you look at the rest of the stats, that was a game where LJ Thorpe struggled a little bit. And um, he's been, when they when he's going, the team really can get going. And he had a tough game, but Pember was able to pick up that slack and put together a, a record night for himself where, you know, he was able to shoot, show his ability to spread the floor with the shot. He was still, he does what he does best in altering shots at the paint and deflecting and blocking shots. Um, you know, and just scored in a myriad of different ways when his team really needed him. Um, but that's something that UNC Asheville can't uh, depend on, just like what we talked about with Nadiria Evans. Defenses will start to um, lock in and hone in, and that's the special thing about that UNC Asheville team is they've got a plethora of different players that got the talent and the ability to also go crazy in games with. Tajon Jones, who can spread the floor with the three, and Cody Jew can shoot the three. And um, you've got LJ Thorpe, who can get going inside and out. And so you've got some pieces on that team that are also capable of doing what Pember can do. Um, and so they've got to make sure that they are balanced in their scoring. 
and can't, don't get, you know, stagnant offensively. Looking around the rest of the Big South men's side, most of these games are one, two, three, four-point games. Winthrop beat Gardner-Webb by two. I want to come back and talk to you about Winthrop in just a moment. Longwood beats Presbyterian by one. Hampton, 68. High Point, 64. Upstate beats Charleston Southern. That's the, the only game of, of, of runaway. It was a 13-point game. And then Campbell, 73. A&T, 72. Winthrop goes 5-0 and in the conference, and all of their wins, are any of them by more than five points? And and it, I don't think so, but a lot of that is all just based on the whole idea of just being in dogfights, right? Um, Winthrop is going to get everybody's best shot, and they are holding on right now and 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 finding ways, resourceful ways to win the game. Uh, but you do got to worry, especially with their home or with their away stand that they're going to have coming up uh, with some really good competition on the road, that they're going to have to find ways to uh, manufacture wins on the road. Right now they're doing a good job of taking care of home. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be those situations where they are going to have to figure out ways to um, – to to keep the foot on the gas. Um, it, and it, you just talked about it a little bit, the, the levels, right? Like there's a bunch of different levels of teams that Winthrop's playing and playing close. Some of them are at the bottom of the barrel and they're playing them close. Uh, you know, some of them are at the top and they're playing them close. And so then you got a question, are they playing down or to the level of their competition instead of to their standard? And that's a, that's a, that's a real question which makes you wonder, are they going to be able to maintain their standard when it comes to tournament play, where one mistake can end your season? And so they're going to have to figure it out because if they end up playing a team because they're the one seed or something, and they play a team that's the, you know, at the bottom of the seeding, and that team plays them close, there's no telling what could happen in that situation where it should be a blowout, but if you're playing with your food, uh, the food's going to get cold. And so w- they've got to make sure that they are doing their job um, and trying to figure out ways to continue to not only win, but to win the games that they're supposed to win in a desirable fashion. Last thing I want to talk about in the Big South men's side, uh, Campbell beating A&T 73-72. Whitfield's late three is what put Campbell ahead to stay. Uh, I said to our producer, Allen, I think A&T for short periods of time is the best team in the conference. Uh, I saw a five minute clip where they looked unguardable on offense and impenetrable on defense. Uh, it's not something that I've seen sustained for 40 minutes. What's your assessment of a North Carolina a and I agree. A&T's got a ton of talent and experience and uh, they're just trying to figure out a way to put it together and also maneuver as the new guys in the big South. And um, you see right now, you know, a Campbell team that was able to uh, get a tough win um, against them with that that three at the corner. But at the same time, I think that, you know, I don't think any of these teams are putting together two full halves of great basketball. I think that that they are adapting and adjusting to the schemes being thrown at them and with with A&T coming into this conference, they're understanding the diversity 
regarding levels of play and styles and things like that, that each team possesses. That means you've got your homework and your work cut out for you every single night to prepare for a new game. And uh, I don't know if you're going to see them put two halves together, but they can work at trying to execute to the best of their ability against different styles of play. And it's never going to look pretty until you understand uh, your conference. And I think that's going to take time for them. They've got to understand that, you know, this is what Campbell does. You've got to understand this is what UNC Asheville does. And it's going to take some time to adapt to those different styles. When you say time, you mean multiple seasons or or are they maybe the second time around they'll have a better idea? Yeah, I mean, it just takes for those players that have experience with them um, to to understand, you know, because they can't say. Uh, and I remember this. I remember when my freshman would come in when I played at UNC Ashford, I'd be like, Radford is 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 post heavy. This is what we got to prepare for. Um, and because I've experienced it and I've seen these guys on a on the last two or three years, um, I know how to to explain to them and complement to what our coaches are saying as well from a player's point of view. Um, it's hard to do that if you're if you've never really seen um, these types of players or if this isn't a part of your conference. So you forget about it. I mean, you might have played them in the non-conference schedule, but uh, it's different because there's a lot more weight behind all those conference games. And so everybody remembers those games. They remember the personnel. They remember what they do best. Uh, they remember what they did to win or what they did in causing them to lose. And so right now they're they're kind of clean slating it where they've got to adapt to the different teams, the different styles um, that they're going to present, be presented every single night they come out there on the floor. We'll jump into the Southern Conference here in just a little bit. At least on my Twitter feed, the conversations kind of split a bunch of different ways. Um, but a lot of it yesterday was talking about Grace and Allen. And, and I know we are a Southeastern-focused um, college basketball podcast. That said, uh, he played college basketball in the Southeast, so that's how I'm going to pretend like it works. Then. Oh, okay. As a player, when you had a, a, a tough foul, a hard foul like that, what did wh you saw the you saw the footage? What was your interpretation of it, and how do you think things are going to shake out from here? Um, listen, man, like I I like Grayson Allen. Um, I would hate to play against Grayson Allen. But I would love to play with Grayson Allen, if that makes sense. Um, just because there are all types of versions of Grayson Allen in in on on a, on most teams. All right, now there are different versions. What I said before, but there are also different levels of of of, of ferocity. Okay. And I think Grayson Allen is at the top tier of that. And uh, to a point where he, he doesn't care about you as much as he cares about the team or he cares about in that moment getting that stop. And he could, he could care less about Alex Caruso and getting that shot. or And he guaranteed that he didn't get the and one either. Now, it's at the end of the day, it's a game, right? And – um you got to think about this. Like, you know, I'm never going to be out there to try to hurt somebody. Right. Um, and uh, because it is just a game. 
And uh, I think sometimes with Grayson Allen's competitiveness, that can get he it get, he gets cl- he gets clouded in understanding the safety. You know, he turns into something else. He turns into the the Russian from Rocky. Um, if he dies, he dies. You know, like um, I feel like he's he's on that tip where, and then like all of a sudden he snaps back out of it once you know, you know the sh- the laces are untied and it's just like, well, what happened, bro? You saw red, and uh, I think Grayson is that guy, man. That he sees red sometimes, and um, you know it's 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 tough. I think that um, I think that Alex Caruso. Um, is an is right now you know he is a NBA national treasure when it comes to fan favorites like everybody loves sure. him um, and uh, you should have saw how Twitter erupted when that happened um, they were like man if anything happens to Alex Caruso they were sending threats at uh, Grayson Allen and everything and I'm just like yeah that's about right I mean people love Alex Caruso and not because he's out here scoring. 30 points a game. I mean, the guy is just blue collar basketball that plays it the right way, defends the right way, um, makes the right play. And, and honestly, Ruth yeah. Allen has been doing that for Milwaukee too. Sure. Um, and, but like I said before, there's just a difference in, in, in personalities there where Grayson Allen is, he is the Russian from Rocky four. Um, so, when uh, you know. when he Grayson Allen's walking off the floor, uh, the announcer or I guess the analyst uh, went on about his smirk, and it got me thinking a little bit that some players embrace sort of that black hat. You know what I mean? Sort of the the bad the well, bad guy role. Well, that I I saw that you know, and and I didn't think of it as oh I'm so happy I heard him. He's thinking. Uh, the, here comes the media about to go crazy on me again because even though this wasn't my intent, and it might not have been his intent to hurt Alex Caruso, right? But even though it's not my intent, this, the media is going to spiral this into a story where I am this this bad guy again. And let me go ahead and get myself mentally ready um, to to just laugh at all of the the speculations that are about to come my way. Um, it's it, I felt like that was more of his the reason behind that smirk, not, um, you know, like I am I wanted to do that to, to Alex Caruso, like where I wanted him to really I wanted to inflict harm on him, which is what they, they say, like, you know, oh, I'm a dirty player. You know, I was, I was just trying to play the ball. But in, in his mind, that's that's where he probably went. Where it's just like, of course, they're going to make me that guy there of course they're going to make me into um this because um and of course they're going to give me a flagrant two um because of this and i've seen some flagrant twos just or flagrant ones just like that but he got and and i'm sure he's seen it but he got the two because of um they're going off of his history now should that matter should what he's done in the past come into play when it comes to evaluating uh, in this case, this one instance. I listen. That's a great question. Um, I, you shouldn't, but that doesn't mean that they aren't. You know what I mean? Like, um, he could have changed. He could have 
you know, he could have been on that uh, new year, new me type of thing, but um, <laughs> maybe read live, laugh, it, love, and he's kind of feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think he's a, I think he's, he's misunderstood. Um, but I, but I also think that um, he is capable of, 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 of not being a dirty player if he if he wanted to um and i'm not saying that he is a dirty player i'm just saying i i would say he's a passionate player okay. but um, the media is putting him or labeling him as that dirty player and he's definitely capable of changing but it it, it needs to be everybody else trying to at least give him that grace um that that he could have but at the same time i mean yeah that's on on him to say, hey, I've changed or I haven't changed. Sure. It doesn't sound like he's saying that he's changed or hasn't changed. He's just playing. Right. Um, so a lot of that's up to, up to I, I don't know Grayson's heart. That's on Grayson. I don't know if you know, we've seen some stuff where he's out here, you know, sweeping the leg, Johnny and he's, uh, um, you know, uh, sweeping the leg, Johnny. You know, he, yeah, no, he did. He's, I see he's it. out I here. He's out here hitting people below the belt and stuff like that. And um, I've seen kids like that before. Like I played kids like that before, but they didn't, they also didn't play at Duke. Yeah. And so um, we talk about this all the time, like how magnified, um, depending on where you are, the the media uh, shows things. And when you're at that type of place and you can become the story um, really quickly. And uh, you're seeing a guy who's had some history of that that is now becoming a recurrent story um, that I think he's trying to get out of. But it's nothing he can do when those type of situations arise and you've got already a track record showing that you. You were you you've hurt some folks or you've done some dirty stuff in the past. I, I don't know if that was his intent to be dirty in that particular situation. Sure. Um, because I've seen it happen and I've just been like, you know, I saw uh, Talon Horton do the same thing. And, uh, you know, he, there was, his intent was not to hurt and they gave him a flagrant one. But Talon Horton also has a spotless record when it comes to that kind of stuff. And so um, I don't think it should be taken into play. I think, I think it should happen based on what happened in the game. Um, You probably should have got a flagrant one. But, um, you know, like I said before, it's yeah, referees are going to call based on tendencies. Um, and that could have been a situation because of Grayson Allen's reputation mm-hmm. where they might be actually saving Grayson Allen <laughs> from um, from, you know, like revenge. Sure. Um, that's, you know what that's I mean? That's my next the, question. The, was, more, the Bulls didn't really. Yeah. And react the way that I thought they would. Because mm-hmm. uh, we've seen that foul before. Yeah. I mean, it happened. Yeah. Um, and um, so they didn't respond. But, you know, let's say they see that little smirk, right? Um, and then it's a flagrant one and he comes back out there. Somebody's, somebody's throwing a cheap shot at him at some point. Yeah. It's come. So you think that the reason that there wasn't that immediate reaction was they thought they'd have 
like if he if he sticks around we'll we'll take care of it yeah okay like i'm like there would have been a hit on it would have been a hit out on him at some point somebody would have came down with like a flaming elbow and just and probably cracked him i mean it's just the code of the streets when it comes to to the game you know if you wrong somebody on my team um something's happening under the table that the referees are probably not going to catch. Right. Um, it's just a law. The unspoken law. And it's expected almost. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's, somebody's got to avenge me. At least in baseball, they do it a lot more out in the open. They're like, I want to throw it at your head. And the other guy's like, don't, yeah. I don't want you to do that, but I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you see what it is like, um, it's, that's almost like universal yeah. in, in most professional and, and, and collegiate sports and high school sports. You see it all the time. Well, let's jump back into the world of college basketball. We'll go back to the Southern Conference. We're going to get on the women's side Saturday, January 22nd. A couple of results that I kind of expected and one maybe I didn't. Uh, Eastern Tennessee State over Western Carolina, 68-45. Chattanooga over UNCG, 85-65. Mercer over Wofford, 67-53. And then Samford over Furman, 90-81. Anything stand out to you in that group of four? Um, ETSU beating um, Western. um, And, you know, I, I grew up with Simon Harris at ETSU. Um, we're, we're from the same area. Uh, his dad was a coach at NC state forever. Um, and, uh, you know, like I've just always been close with that family and, uh, you know, that, that, that program is, you know, this is Simon's first year coaching and, you know, they're doing a completely, uh, complete culture shift there where they're really focusing on accountability and things of that nature. And so, you know, there's been some players that have had to have been dismissed from the team, like, I mean, pivotal players, impact players. And so he's working with with a lot of freshmen. He's working with a lot of new players. And um, he's doing a real good job of finding a way to 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 make it work and also to, uh, you know, be in certain games where they shouldn't have a chance to be in. And uh, so, you know, that was a big win for them. Um and uh, in the way they beat Western, too, like, I mean, I, I thought that they had put together two of the best halves I've seen them put together in a while. Didn't Harris come from uh, he went who's that? Was he at Ohio State and then NC State? Is that am I? So he only coaches teams with the word state in their uh, name. Is that is that where I don't know a superpower he, from or. I don't know if that was his intent, but. Um, he does have a lot of affiliations with schools that have uh, stayed at the end of it. He played, he actually started out at Elon. So, you know. Oh, there you go. Okay. He did. So, you know, I don't know. Um, but, but that was his playing days. I don't know if it's got anything to do with uh, his actual uh, coaching. So, you know, who knows, man? On the women, maybe state schools like Simon Harris. I don't know. Man. I don't know either. That's why I was asking. So yeah, um, but yeah, that was a, that's been a good job. Mercer dropping their first game, uh, conference game of the season to Furman earlier in the week. Mercer five and one, Chattanooga four and one, Wofford three and one. Three teams with one loss at the top. 
of the women's basketball standings in the Southern Conference. Of those three, I'm going to tell you to eliminate one. Which one is it, John? And this is between Mercer, Furman, and Chattanooga? Mercer, Chattanooga, and Wofford. Wofford standing at three and one as well. Uh, um, I would definitely say, well, it's tough. Chattanooga's got one of the most fluid offenses in the conference. Um, Mercer has one of the more, more balanced offenses. And you said Mercer, Chattanooga, and Wofford. Wofford has got definitely um, – I'd say – I'd take Wofford out of there. Wofford just lost to Mercer this uh, on January 22nd, 67-53. That was down at Mercer. Yeah, but you you, you see it, right? I mean, it's – Furman beats Mercer. Sure. Uh, Wofford beats Furman. Uh, you know, it, it – it's a lot of parody. It's all based on uh, the styles, right? And 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 what teams do uh, that make them strong. And Mercer matches up really tough against Furman, uh, which is it just just how their personnel is. Um, and but Furman matches up really tough against Wofford, and he's, that's why Wofford was able to beat them at Furman uh, was because. Wofford just makes it really difficult with their sets and their schemes offensively where Furman really has to think and do for four quarters. And so it, it, it can be um, it, when it comes down to tournament play, it's going to be interesting to see. Matchup is what it's going to all come down to, you think? I think so matchup and style of play, um, you know, and like we go back to the Big South. Um, where we talked about UNC Asheville versus uh, Presbyterian. Uh, UNC Asheville is a running team. They like to run. Presbyterian does not mind battling with you in the half-court set. So that means that they are down to slow you down. And if you can't play half-court offense or if you struggle against half-court defenses um, and they're taking, they're taking away something that you do well, and so it's the same thing in the SOCON where there's teams that like to run. There's teams that like the half court set. There's teams that have put a, a, sta a staple on um, crashing five at the boards. Uh, there's teams that um, there's teams that like to uh, play uh, a matchup zone. There's teams that like to press. And so it all depends on the style and who sees who. Um, and I don't think there's any guarantees when it comes to the tournament play uh, for SOCON women's. There's no guarantees that anything could happen. And so it, it all depends on the matchup and who's linked up with who. That's why, you know, conference play means so much as far as the standings go when it comes to who you draw in the tournament. Let's move over to the men's side. Uh Take a look at the result from January 22nd. Citadel over East Tennessee State at East Tennessee State, 75-73. Mercer taking out Western Carolina, 72-64. Chattanooga winning on the road, 78-74 over VMI. Greensboro taking down Samford, 61-58. And Furman on the road taking down Walford. I want to spend some time on this one. 
Furman, 75, Wofford, 50. Gigantic win for the Purple Paladins. Man, why are you calling them the Purple Paladins? Because it flows. Okay. I like it. The purple, yeah, man. I like it. That's, I just wasn't ready. Nah, man, yeah. Uh, I, I like the purple palette. It just it flows, man. It kind of feels like, uh, I don't know, it's a vibe I like. Yeah, it reminds me of Dipset. Yeah, exactly. Let that marinate. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, Berman beat the brakes off of Wofford at Wofford, which was, it has to be deflating. I, I if you look on social media like they were showing that beautiful facility that firm that wofford has and the score and they were showing pictures of the fans faces and things like that because it is a real rivalry uh it is very difficult let to win at wofford but it's even more difficult for Furman to win at wofford and so at for the way they did it um you know it, it was it could be disheartening if you're Wofford and we talked about it before, like Wofford is one of those teams that um, you have to look out for because if they catch fire really quickly, um, they can beat just about anybody. And it seemed like that that was one of those games where they just couldn't find anything working for them uh, from an offensive standpoint. And then a lot when once Furman gets going and we've seen what Furman looks like when they do get going offensively, they are tough to beat. I mean, it's tough for any team to beat them when they are, when they, I like to say when their mode is on and uh, their mode was on at Wofford and uh, there was no answer from Wofford. It was at Jerry Richardson indoor stadium. That's Furman's first ever win in that building. And the first time Furman had won at Wofford in nearly 10 years this uh, uh, Furman team, uh, number two in the NCAA in three-pointers made, they're first in the NCAA in assists, and they're first in the Southern Conference on in scoring defense. Six and two in the conference. This is a Furman team that, that's pretty good. I mean, like really like a scary team that if they can find their way out of the Southern Conference, is this a team that can, that can pull an upset in the first round of the NCAA tournament? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody wants – Power Fives do not want to schedule Furman in the, in the non-conference schedule because if you do, they're still considered a mid-major team. Um, most of the time those are supposed to be working the kinks out games where you, if you're a Power Five, you're getting yourself ready for your conference and, and uh, you're still planning on winning, but you need that challenge, right? Furman – most teams are not planning on winning. They're planning on a battle, a dogfight, because they have come into multiple teams' houses and and snatched all all their cookies out there, and uh, to a point where they've got a reputation that they are not the ones to schedule when it comes to non-conference play. I, I just and that's because they're they are so good at their system. They're so good at bringing in players that cater to that system. Uh, they're very efficient at scoring the ball. Uh, they have so many different hiccups within their offensive sets. They make it really difficult to you to just hone in on one person. They got a lot of 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 parity when it comes to different players being able to score a bucket or to get a bucket. Um, and you know, Bob Ritchie gives them a ton of freedom 
to make the right basketball play, to understand their concepts so that they can go out there and flourish. And so they are one of the more connected teams in the conference, which gives them a chance to come out and win the conference. Now you still got to, you still got to find, find a way to get through Chattanooga. Um, that is very good. Um, very talented, very loaded and, and with a deep uh, bench. And so you got to find ways to, to still to, to get out of that conference in order to get to the NCAA. But, I could see them making an argument, which we've seen before in the past in the SOCON, where, you know, they make the argument for, you know, if, you know, that secondary team in the SOCON that could also make some noise in the NCAA tournament. I know that it's a, a one bid type of thing, but uh, there's there could be a situation where they make a call for Furman and uh, make a call for Chattanooga. Let's say Furman wins and Chattanooga loses or something and that somebody would make a case for Chattanooga to try to get in there, or vice versa, I think. Chattanooga's got one loss. Uh, Furman has two. So does uh, Mercer. Uh, those are the three teams with the two losses in the top of the, the bracket. Man, this, this Chattanooga team is is really, really good, and and their one loss was in Cullowee to Western. Uh was that a case of did they underestimate Western Carolina or was it the style matchup again? Um, a bit of both. I think that they played with their food a little bit, um, but just because there's nothing, there was nothing to get hyped up for when you're playing against one of the teams in the bottom of the of the the standings. But you got to understand that these are basketball players. They are Division One level players. That if you give them that daylight, if you give them uh, that opening, they will take advantage of it. And I think that you saw there that Western definitely took advantage of the moment and the situation. Uh, it was a bigger game, a way bigger game for them, but a humbling game for Chattanooga to understand that you just can't come out there and beat people. And this is what we're talking about with Winthrop as well, where Winthrop has to start separating themselves as that top-tier team in the Big South by they're winning the games they're supposed to win, but it's the fashion that they're winning it in um, and uh, making sure that you keep your foot on the gas. And that was a situation where Chattanooga never put their foot on the gas against against Western. And um, and and that was that's what came from it, which was, you know, it was a loss, but it was also a lesson for them. We're looking forward to Saturday, February 12th, when Chattanooga and Furman finally take each other on. It'll be down in Greenville, South Carolina. In the upcoming games, the one I'm, I'm particularly looking forward to, and it's not going to be until the 29th of January, is what one of the three teams that are undefeated at home in the Southern Conference. It's Mercer hosting Furman. That's a 6 o'clock game. It's going to be on the uh, CB Sports Network. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about absolutely everything about it yeah i mean and here's the thing too is you know Furman's they don't mind going out in the road in hostile environments it's how they've won a lot of those guarantee games in the past and they're, they're out they're on the road they're they're ready for the smoke and so uh it'll be a great test for mercy to protect home and, and understanding that they've got to do all the little things they got to do they've got to play the game the right way to even beat at their own house. 
Chattanooga, Furman, Mercer, one, two, and three in the Southern Conference. And and again, those three teams all undefeated at home. You say Chattanooga, Furman as the, the two that you'd expect to most likely come out of the Southern Conference. Mercer's right in there at five and two, four and oh at home. Is is there a possibility of Mercer working through the tournament and getting that upset and getting the automatic bid? Um, yeah, Mercer's got a chance. It depends on their their pathway, but it, they definitely have a chance depending on who they match up against. I mean, I think that they match up um, a little bit better against um, Chattanooga than they do against Furman. Um, and, but I, I think that both, all three are capable of beating each other on a given night. Uh, I think that Furman is, is probably the more balanced team, uh, when it comes to shooting, when it comes to the ability to post and, uh, also running the floor, they just do what they do their system really good. Um, but I, I think Mercer's got a shot. I, I think, uh, there's a ton of especially in the top half, there's a ton of parity. And um, and you just got to make sure that you are taking care of your home games, but then also uh, giving yourself a chance to play against the desirables on the bottom half that makes your, your path to the championships a little bit easier. Um, so, yeah, man, I yeah, I, I'm not doubting Mer- Mercer at all. I think they've got a shot. Um, I I just I think that Furman and I think that Chattanooga right now are at the top. I'm going to ask you your opinion. So this is your uh, Jimmy's Famous Seafood Choice of the Week. Uh, I'm going to ask you two questions. You can answer one or the other. Um, and I'll start with question one. Taking a look at UNC at Chapel Hill, another 20-point loss for the Tar Heels with first-year head coach Hubert Davis. Is this a situation where you got you absolutely have to give the head coach more time? And that, that's where I am. I think that to judge a head coach off of his first year is unbelievably harsh. Yeah. I'll get your opinion on that. I'm kind of curious. On the second question is another another uh, south, uh, southeast school that's in a bit of peril, and that's with Georgia and, and head coach Tom Crean. And they've lost, was it two or three by games? And yeah, starting to to struggle a loss with South Carolina. What's the answer mm-hmm. for this Georgia team? And do you think that they should go younger, or what? What do you see as as the pathway out for Georgia? Now I'll let you answer which whichever one of those that you want to answer. Okay. Well, my my thing about UNC is uh, you got to give Hubert some time to to understand his personnel, uh, to figure out the identity that they want to go with um, for this season or and for the upcoming seasons. What works based on the personnel that they're bringing in every single year? And that's what it is. I mean, there, there, there can't be a disconnect in the talent that you bring in versus the style of play that you have. And sometimes that happens. Uh, and so you want your style of play to cater to the kids that you're bringing in there. And that means sometimes you, you – and the personalities that you bring in there. And that means that sometimes you have to 
to say, I know that's a five star, but does that five star fit within this program? Does that fit within our style that we're trying to to have here? Will that will there there be the right amount of buy in with those with these players? And so, I think uh, Coach Davis is going to have to figure out that that the personnel um, buying into the style and everybody being connected. And you're seeing a talented team, a very great individual um, players, but they're not connected. And you're getting the outcomes like them losing a wake and, and uh, uh, several other teams, Miami, yep. because of the lack of connection uh, from the personnel all the way to the staff. It, and that's going to take time. So my question is, this team, you've seen them put it together. You've seen them put it together in a couple of games this year. Uh, yeah. They're a good team when they put it together. Uh-huh. Do they have enough time to figure yeah. it out? I mean, they've got time. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but they definitely have time to figure it out. Um, and it, like I said, and we're talking from, you know, a coach's standpoint where, where Coach Davis is, you know, during that time has to find the right personnel to fit the style of play that they're having. And sometimes I don't know what that is. Um, you know, the, as far as like, what are they trying to do? What's, what's their bread and butter? What makes them click? What makes them go? And so um, that's just going to take time, I think, in um, bringing in the right players to fit that style that you're trying to create there. Um, everybody runs the now, horn set now. Everybody, huh? everybody runs the horns set now. You've seen some variation of it about every time you turn on any game. Why is everybody running the horn set? Uh, it it creates the ability to spread defenses where your bigs are away from the basket normally because the post players are at the high post at the elbows, and you can run a ton of like high ball screens, Dutch screen actions. You can run stagger actions where your rim protectors are usually having to think and do instead of just being out in front of the rim and and, and protecting it. And so it gives you better angles. It gives you better spacing. Um, it, it helps you to create straight line drives um, and it can create it makes it hard for the guards to uh, to help in the post to help um, when it comes to double teaming like isolated situations in the paint. And so it just, for most collegiate personnel, especially, it's it's usually in the arsenal at some point, whether it's just a hiccup play to get somebody a basket or if it's a part of their continuity. Defensively, what, what defense doesn't mind seeing the horn set and knows that they can, they can uh, handle it? Well, you can pack it in against a horn set and be totally fine. Uh, but the, the problem is, is usually at the level that we're talking about, there are shooters. And, um, and if you can make, if you can make shots at a consistent base, even if you pack it in, uh, and you're doing a really good job of, of compressing that defense to take away paint touches and to take away paint entries and things of that nature, if they can shoot it, it still spreads out that pack line or it spreads out that packed in defense. And so, uh, you know, but if you don't want a team to run a horn set, man, I mean, you just run a zone. And that's that. On I that. mean, there you go. 
just run his own. Like you, you know, the horns is usually based on man to man defense, but and I'm you know, you can always just do things that apply movement and and you can break a zone if you're moving to the right spots and cutting with purpose. But if you're going against a zone, you probably want to run a zone breaker. If you got trouble against the man to man set, just and uh, you're struggling to to beat that that horn set because they've got too many offensive power or weapons. Yeah, you 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 try something else and you either go with a matchup zone or you go with a regular like two three or one two two or uh, thirteen or something. But yeah, that's how you get out of that that horns or get away from that horns action so that they're not running it if it's that deadly to you. The last question I've got for you this week, uh, and I, I like the the thing that we last two weeks that I found really interesting is when we're answering questions that high school players might have about going to the next level. One question that I've got for you, John, is that the high school player who's not getting noticed, who desperately wants to play at the next level, what do they do to get noticed? They need to educate themselves as well as and it's not just up to the kid. It's also up to the parent to to work on the the whole education process of what are the lucrative or what are the ways that that I can get my kid or that I as a basketball player can get the exposure that I need uh, in order for that college coach to make a decision. And so the goal is to get in front of those coaches. Uh, the goal is to be proactive in your recruitment, not just to think it's just going to fall in your lap. You've you've got to be, especially let's say if you're a kid from a, like a rural area or a small town, uh, you've got to be able to have, um, you've got to be able to give that coach that doesn't have the access that they may have to a kid from the city, you've got to give them um, cause and reason to say this is. I'm going to take a look at this kid, even though it's just one kid compared to if I go to this footprint in the city that's got three players that were recruiting on this team and two on the other team. Um, that means that if you are at that much of a disadvantage um, because of your lack of exposure of where you are or something like that, you've got to you've got to be proactive. You've got to fill out the questionnaires. You've got to make the calls. You've got to send the film. Uh, you've got to be at the events that they're going to be at um, when it comes to club basketball. Um, when you play in, on the AAU circuit, you've got to be in those places. Um, and you just can't say, I'm going to be at the places that those coaches are going to be at. Those coaches need to already know you by the time they, they come out to that, that event. And so that comes with you creating a relationship with those coaches. I mean, you can, you can call and reach out and send emails and send film as much as you want. That way you're at least on the radar. And then it's just up to your talent to be the decider on whether or not that coach wants you or not. Because at the end of the day, you, you know, you can be you can get all the exposure you want. But if you're not good enough to play for that program, nobody's going to offer you either. And so you have to be skilled and you have to be um, good enough to play at that level, too. Um, but usually when you are working at that point to try to get that exposure that means that you're working also to make sure that um you're you're trying to be at that level to play at that level and so all, all that comes into play but a, a lot of it is just understanding what you need to do to get get the exposure that you're looking for 
And uh, a lot of folks don't know that. I think it's been a good podcast. Uh, not to pat myself on the back. I did a great job asking you questions. I'm, I'm kidding, man. I, I love listening to you talk about the things. Cause I never thought about like proactively going out and, and, and getting a coach's attention and saying, Hey, I want to play for you. Here's what I have. Here's my reel. And I just thought, you know, the ta- if you have the talent, you know, the attention will come, but that's not necessarily the case. No, it's not. And, 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 you know, we deal with this, you know, us being in the Western Carolina region, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's pretty much a, an area where college coaches could easily go somewhere else. They could go to Durham and Raleigh. They could go to Greensboro and Charlotte. They can go to those, those, higher higher highly populated areas and and pluck a kid and you know that they're playing against quality competition because of you know you're also recruiting up like two other kids on on maybe their rival school and so it's convenient for those coaches to just go to those areas that they know already um in the rural areas you may have one kid pop up from time to time that's that's really good and then like you don't have to go back to that area again or you just don't know right and so if you are one of those kids that are from an area that um, lacks the ability to get exposure on a on a on a high school level, then you have to be proactive in and in, in, in marketing yourself to those coaches so that they know who you are, where you're going to be um, and whether or not uh, you're good enough uh, to play at that level. Now, that's another part is. If you're in a rural area, most of the time the competition level is a little bit lower. And so, you know, you could score 30 points a game at a at a school that's got nobody that's that has any 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 standouts or ranked players or anything like that. So why would that college coach take that film as merit? Um, because you just scored 30 on Joe Schmo from up the road. Um you know, so you got to do more and you have to show them that that you have the the talent and ability to play against players that they're recruiting. And that's where the club club basketball um, makes a, a big difference, because then, you know, you come from a, a rural scholastic season to playing against really good competition. And if you can show that you can hold your own against them, then you've checked all the boxes for that coach. Um so yeah, man, that's what it. That's usually what it, what it takes, man, for especially people from, um, you know, small areas, small towns. Man, I'm not um, gonna lie to you. When I was growing up, I had a. Uh, I could not say my letter R. My grandmother was from Whitmire, South Carolina, and they'd never heard of an R from from Whitmire back when I was coming up. So everything was O A H when it came to R. So it was Doa, Floa, you know that kind of stuff. Uh, and so to yeah. hear you say the word that is spelled R-U-R-A-L is just a consistent flex on me. I, I, I can't even imagine saying that word out loud. I can't do it. So so you you say it like a like a real like a like a like a true southern. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. I, I was I was in like, second grade and they were like, that's a lot. That's a lot of accent. Uh Okay. So I got speech okay. therapy, and and ter- and I think without the speech therapy, I don't become a broadcaster because mm. I I just I don't think I do. Um, now maybe so you you and that you 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 sounded like the water boy. Oh, very yeah yeah yeah. He was a little more Creole, but yeah, there's a lot of, like that. There's some of that there. Yeah, 
And so to hear you okay. say the word that I can't even, even to this day, 42 years later, I can't say that. Uh, I say out in the country. I'll say four words so okay. I don't have to say that one. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So for those folks right, who are well, out glad, in the country. We learned something new about yeah, no, yeah. Uh, so for those folks who are out in the country, how uh, useful is a resource, somebody like Justin Byerly, who does go out into those uh, out in the country communities to kind of get some evaluations of players to give them a little bit more attention. Yeah. I mean, Justin does a fantastic job of not just sticking to that one area. Um, he does a good job of just going to the areas where he's heard about the talent. And uh, that's because it's ears to the streets. Um, and uh, he'll, somebody will say, Hey, Justin, there's this guy. Um, that I'm that uh, you might want to look at, and he'll go and look. Uh, and so, you know, that's what a, a scouting service is supposed to do. Uh, where you get, you know, you go where where the names are. And, you know, Byerly was, you know, he was behind finding, you know, Caleb Mills from this from the Western Carolina region, like him and um, Jeff Snyder. Uh, those from Big Shots, those guys were decided to come up and. You know, Justin lives here, so that's great. But, you know, they decided to come and take a look at, you know, one player compared to them. They could go to Myrtle Beach or they could go to uh, Charleston or Columbia. They could go to Raleigh. Uh, they could go to Richmond and find 12 people. Easy. Right. In one place. Um, so, you know, it's it's he does a really good job of finding those diamonds in the rough um, and uh, really trying to give them a platform that that they creates an ability for college coaches to at least take a look at them. Like I said before, they still got to be good enough, um, but at least they, they've got eyes and they can't just sit be like that old school guy that has that story. Like I would have been, I would have made it to the NBA, but this, or I would have did this, but this, nah, you got that opportunity to play in front of those coaches. If you're just not good enough, you're not good enough. So we, we wipe that off the table where you keep on telling your, your, your kids and your your grandkids, you know, I'd have made it if this happened. Nah, like people like Justin Byerly making sure that you can't use that as an excuse no more. Nah. <laughs> See, this this guy's like 60s, 70s telling his grandkid, and then John kicks the door down like the Kool-Aid man goes, nah. Nah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I love it. We got, we got footage now. You just can't tell a whole legendary story no more. There's enough footage out there where if people if people try to say that they could have done this or could have did that, there's receipts out here now. And it's and thanks to social media, they ain't, it's not going anywhere. Has our society lost a little bit in, in the art of storytelling because there are so many receipts out there? I'm glad. Fair enough. I'm glad. I mean, yeah, like, listen, like, you can't sit here and just build on your legend if your legend's not real. Um, you know, like, and that's the thing, too. You know, you, you say what you you say, what you say, but, you know, these young whippersnappers now, when they're listening, they're like, man, let me go on this YouTube right quick. I know I can find you. Um, and then they, they pull up some stuff, and then it's just like, oh, well, you know, I checked the receipts. Um, you know, and you didn't have the juice like that. So that's fine. Uh, it's just all about accountability. Right. 
I wanted to, and then we'll we'll put a wrap on the, the podcast for this week. Coming up next week, uh, we'll find out why John has an issue with Ty Lawson. Um, how I can make John mad simply by saying, "Do you remember that time?" And we'll also delve a little bit into whatever my beef is with with Eric Snow. We'll do that. We'll round you up the Southern Conference, the Big South Conference, and we'll take a look around the Southeast next time on Straight in the Jet.